Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ, just here, right now, we come together to worship God together, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather in ordered worship before Almighty God. We invite those who are listening by radio at WBUR 90.9 FM in New England and those around the globe by the internet at WBUR.org to respond to us in uh, prayer and in email and selecting personal ministries and as the Spirit moves, joining us present here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue for worship. Especially today, we welcome our Inner Strength Gospel Choir as they continue to guide us in the praise of God in Eastertide. And to our pulpit in the ministry of the word, we welcome Liz Douglas, chapel associate, who calls Ohio home, a graduate of Kent State, and now a Boston University School of Theology. We love her and we are proud of her. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth their praise, dressed by their faith, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, as we enter worship and lift our hearts and minds to the God of grace and pardon, we are drawn naturally, inevitably, to a time of confession, to a moment of contrition, to a spirit of compunction, to an act and a voice and a word of lament. We recognize that the resurrection follows but does not replace the cross. And so we are ever vigilant to go forth as those who, having been pardoned, have learned to pardon. We remember and re realize that it will need to be this way of life ours into the future, a way that is less naive in its assumptions, more modest in its ambitions, more humble in its approach, and more imaginative in its anticipation of what can go wrong. As the choir brings us the Kyrie, may we bow in silent confession. Let us pray. Beloved, in this hour of worship and in the days to come, we may together learn to cultivate moments of tact, silence, and attentiveness to the world outside ourselves as ways of decreasing our natural egoism. There can come a slow shift of attachments, a painstaking education of our many desires. We can learn to be attentive, to be intelligent, to be reasonable, to be responsible, to be loving, and if necessary, to change. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles. 
chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The word of the Lord.
Let us read responsively verses from Psalm 133 with the Antiphon. it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the color of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. people of God, rise up in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. We meet the disciples this week on Resurrection Day. In a house with locked doors, they gathered, fearful of the same fate as that of their beloved teacher and friend, Jesus. Last week, we read the first half of this chapter in John. We saw Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the nameless disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, approaching the empty tomb. Mary, having discovered it first, told the other two who then left her behind. She wept, her grief laid bare. Mary was approached by two angels. In turning, she saw Jesus, whom she didn't immediately recognize. He called out her name, and it was in that moment that recognition kicked in and the connection occurred. After this encounter, she told the disciples as Jesus had asked of her. And now this week, we have a beautiful passage from John in which the disciples are met by Jesus risen and alive once again. Unfortunately for Thomas, he wasn't with the disciples during this encounter. He had a difficult time believing this story was true. Because of his so-called doubting over time, he has been given the nickname of Doubting Thomas. But let's put ourselves in Thomas's shoes for just a minute. Thomas was grieving the death of his beloved friend and teacher. Not even having time to mourn, he was approached by his friends and fellow disciples. Rejoice! Jesus has risen from the dead. They had seen him with their own eyes. You can almost imagine Thomas's facial expression in this situation. Furrowed brows, squinting eyes, perhaps even a grimace on his face. And even if he didn't say it, he probably thought, these guys are crazy. And being caught off guard, he said, no. Not afraid to speak his mind, he boldly said, unless I see Jesus' scars myself, I will not believe. Thomas was hurting. He was in pain, and his heart ached for that which he had lost. He couldn't take any more good news or false hope. Those of us who have witnessed the unfortunate event of a death of a loved one can possibly understand what Thomas might be thinking. For Thomas, death was very real and permanent. After all, people don't just get up and walk, lungs full of fresh air, breath escaping from their mouths just days after being crucified. Thomas trusted his human understanding of the reality of the world in which people die and remain dead. Thomas's response to his friends was raw, unfiltered, and from the heart. He was honest in the midst of confusion, wrestling with the impossibility of something as wonderful as the resurrection. And feeling very alone, Thomas was hoping for the truth, but simply couldn't recognize it. Last week, as we sang the joyous hymns with the trumpets sounding and the drums, stirring up a deep excitement and praise inside of me, I recognized that same excitement from when I was a child on Easter morning. My theology may be different than the tradition in which I was raised, just as my Christology may be different, but the same pulsating spirit inside of me moved me to joyful recognition of the defeat of death by life through love. As I helped serve communion, I had the chance to glance around to see the magnitude of people present, many strangers. I noticed in the balcony for some, it was standing room only. 
I am amazed at the amount of people who come out to celebrate life. Once a year, that's it. This week, as I look around, I see things are back to normal. Nobody's standing in the balcony, no drums, no trumpets, those unfamiliar faces once again gone. And there was a moment in the service last week that I can't forget. At one point, as we sang, a wave of emotion rolled over me, so much so that I had to simply listen, my voice quieted. I was overcome by the immensity of love found in the resurrection. The love of God for the Son, the love of the Son for the parent, the love of Christ for his disciples and friends, and the love of the disciples for Christ. Love is rooted in the resurrection story. That moment last week was very brief, because in the next minute, I was overcome with sadness. I thought about all the people not present in church that morning, not able to celebrate alone. The Easter message is not good news for all people, is it? It wasn't for Thomas. He didn't see any good news in the resurrection proclamation from his fellow disciples. Now, he eventually did come to believe, but in that moment, he probably felt very excluded. Isn't the Easter message, the resurrection of life, pushing away death, supposed to be hope for everyone? If this is true, then why is it that many people are excluded from love and hope? It seems the resurrection promise in joy is often very exclusionist. If you look a certain way, redemption is found. If you think a certain way, you are welcome to join. But if you step out of line and fumble everything up, if you don't fit into the tidy box people place you in, forget it. Celebration over. Why do we so often fail to see the connection between all of us as human beings bound by Christ's love? A few years ago, before I began my studies here at Boston University, I taught church school on Sunday mornings before the worship service to sixth and seventh graders in a UCC church in Brookline. Not quite teenagers and no longer children, these 11 and 12 year olds were figuring out how to claim their independence and still rely on the support of their parents. Their minds were working in hyperspeed, discovering their own true selves in the world, and they questioned everything. I had my own apprehension as to whether or not these adolescents were gaining anything from our Sunday morning classes. I felt like things went in one ear, through their iPods, and out the other. <laughs> then one morning, we were reading from Mark chapter 4 about Jesus and the disciples on a boat during a terrible storm. Jesus slept soundly while the disciples were running around panicked that their lives were surely ending. In this story, they woke Jesus, who then calmed the storm with three simple words, peace, be still. The disciples were amazed, and Jesus was frustrated by their lack of faith. At this point, a boy in class raised his hand and said, I don't like this passage. I think Jesus sounds cocky, and I wouldn't like him. How honest and true, spoken from the, from the heart, his mind at work, trying to understand what faith meant to him. Just a week before, this boy's mother approached me to let me know his grandfather had just passed away. Knowing this, I was able to understand a little better what might be running through his head. This being his first encounter with death, he, more than likely, was confused about what that meant about God. So I thanked him for his comment, and his jaw dropped. 
He wasn't expecting gratitude for his sassy statement, but it was important for these young adults to know that it's okay to feel betrayed and express that. It's okay to feel pain. And this boy probably felt very alone. Instead of reacting like he expected in a very teacherish way by correcting him or scolding him for speaking negatively about Jesus, I simply asked him to explain what he had said so we all could understand in a better way. I opened up space for him to talk instead of criticizing him. I wanted to hear his point of view even though it may have been different than mine. I valued his thoughts and I was present to where he was in that moment. There was a connection, maybe not recognized at the time, but something happened where we bonded, like the encounter between Thomas and Jesus. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. When put in a situation where he had to choose one way or another, he chose the way that made sense for him in that moment. His limits of understanding and belief were stretched beyond his capacity to make sense of his faith. He stopped and turned away, unable to follow the advice of his friends. And we are told he waited a full week before Jesus appeared again. He wrestled with his confusion and loneliness for an entire week before he was finally able to accept the truth. And how much did his faith grow upon seeing his beloved friend and teacher, once dead, impossibly alive again, reaching out to him? It suddenly all made sense. There was hope. A light bulb went off in his head and he cried out, my Lord and my God. We aren't as fortunate as Thomas, who when faced with absurdity and deepest loneliness, found himself in the presence of Jesus, whom he could have touched with his own hands, flesh on flesh, human contact, feeling life. When we shake our fists at God, surrounded by disbelief in the midst of turmoil and hardship, the risen Christ doesn't appear to us behind locked doors, through our fears to reach out to us. He said, those of us who believe without seeing are blessed. But what about those who need some kind of proof like Thomas? Where is the hope? The proof that life conquers death, the good news for those who have been hurt or are turned away or have a difficult time seeing any good in the resurrection. The resurrection is supposed to offer hope in the midst of loneliness and proclaim life over death through love, just as Thomas experienced when put face to face with the risen Christ. That boy in my class didn't experience Christ physically in front of him, but he did experience something that moved him and touched him. In his confusion and anxiety, he was tossed aside, not deliberately, but with the flurry of adults in the middle of funeral preparations, he was simply a child who didn't understand what was going on. And finally, someone didn't brush him aside, but offered to listen. How often do we push people away because we don't want to take the time to listen? We are busy people, consumed with our own needs and wants. In a Facebook, Twitter, and email society, it's easy to lose touch with others and human contact. Students on campus often have a difficult time fitting in and connecting with others. It's easy to slip through the cracks and quietly sit alone in your room every night without ever feeling loved or appreciated. It's easy to isolate ourselves 
and lead a lonely life. But the message of the resurrection does not convey a world of isolation or lack of human contact. As we saw with Jesus appearing to the disciples and opening himself up to Thomas, the resurrection not only offers hope for life over death, but it also signifies the necessity of connection between one another through Christ's love. We are all indeed connected through the resurrection. It doesn't matter if it's the polar opposite of what you claim to believe, or if its proclamation is on the tip of your tongue, the effects of the resurrection have the power to reach all people. It may look differently for each of us, like the disciples in the locked room, but it's there. It may hit us at different times, like Thomas, but it's there. It may take a while for it to shape in our lives, but it is still there. We may feel lonely and excluded, but it's still there. The encouragement of hope is for all. The rising up of life over death is not just for a select group of people, it is for everyone. And we see this as we come to a beautiful account of the disciples encountering Jesus this week. The first words out of his mouth to the disciples were, Peace be with you. He showed them his hands as proof of life. And again he said, Peace be with you. Then he breathed the Holy Spirit onto them, into them, through them. What a beautiful picture. Such an act of love, giving new breath, new life, and offering peace in the midst of chaos, fear, and turmoil. They were full of the same spirit and the same love, connected together. Once a month here at Marsh, we celebrate communion. Before we partake of the elements, we follow the tradition of passing the peace to one another. I never really thought about this practice until I read the scripture readings for this week. Jesus said to the disciples, peace be with you. Upon hearing that, it's almost automatic that you and I say, and also with you, as a response. I think we fail to see the significance and importance of this tradition. The passing of the peace is a time to put aside differences, to forgive one another, and to settle disputes. We are supposed to relieve ourselves and each other of burdens or troubles. We do this before we take communion so that our hearts and minds are open and focused. Jesus also said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Passing the peace as an expression of our commitment to Christ as well. It's proclaiming the good news of the resurrection. Jesus gave the Spirit, but in his giving, he placed responsibility. We also, filled with the Holy Spirit, are to be continually passing the peace, doing God's work in the world, moving through human connections by putting love into action. We often don't take this seriously, though. We lose sight of the connection. We don't feel love and we don't offer love. But there is Christ among us. We read in Acts today about harmony and unity with one another. The resurrection message is not a proponent of individualism, but community through love. We are the face of Christ. Just as the disciples were the face of Christ to those early believers in Acts, we too are the face of Christ to those whom we encounter. Just as Jesus breathed the Spirit onto the disciples and said, Peace be with you, we too should be a breath of fresh air to those around us, showing peace 
and kindness. The students I work with here at Boston University often come to me with hesitations and anxieties. They struggle with the message they hear in churches, from their families, on the news, and in politics that tell them there is something wrong with them because of their inmost being. They wonder if God really loves them, despite their sexual orientation. Is there hope? Why do so many people dislike me? Why do so many people doubt my true worth? They ask me. They watch as Proposition 8 in California takes away gay and lesbian rights. They watch as churches deny them. They listen as politicians act as if they are second-class citizens. And they say, no, I can't believe this is right. And they are right. They stumble across Marsh Chapel and see a place where they can be themselves without being rejected. They can step inside a church without the fear of lightning striking them. These students found a place where they feel a connection and a sense of love. A place where people stop to listen to them without judging. In this space, their loneliness dissipates and they start to see true hope. What was once denied them, the resurrection, is made new. Friends, let us not model an exclusionist resurrection message. Let us not find diversity a threat. Let us not dismiss others because we don't understand them. Let us put our belief in action. Let the spirit move. Let the resurrection be at work every day, not just once a year. I don't want to sit here in a year on Easter morning and have my joy be interrupted by sadness at how the resurrection message is often conveyed. No, friends, the Spirit is at work. Just as Christ breathed it onto the disciples, he too has breathed it onto us. We are truly connected. Therefore, be continually passing the peace, for just as Jesus was sent, he too sends us to love. Amen. Peace be with you and also. This is your time. We gather in prayer, sitting in the pew. Some will want to come and kneel at the rail. Some will be driving on Route 90 on a sun-dappled day. This is your moment. Some will be listening and looking out at the ocean and the rolling surf. This is your moment. Some will be alone at home, remembering and hoping. This is your moment, too. For those who are newest among us, yes, this is your moment. For those who are most veteran among us, this is your moment as well. As we gather for prayer, may we sing together, as we do each Sunday, our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
a season of change, Lord, may we embrace what lasts. In a time of loss, Lord, may we embrace the new. In an era of decrease, Lord, may we find the unexpected. In an epoch of debt, Lord, may we sacrificially endow the future. In a day of disappointment, Lord, may we savor simple gifts. In a month of worry, Lord, may we undress our anxiety. In a year of decline, Lord, may we see again the gifts of peace, wonder, and love. In an hour of depression, Lord, may we, with effort, accept kindness given. In a moment of fear, Lord, may we reach out to grasp the gift of faith. In a morning hour of asadia, Lord, may we return to you in our prayer closet. In an afternoon of besetting sin, Lord, may we recognize humbly our humanity. In an evening of loneliness, Lord, may we experience suddenly graceful solitude. As dusk comes, gracious God, Lord, help us to walk in newness of life. O oh Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then grant us, we pray, a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last. Through the same Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, who taught us to say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We bear you greetings this Sunday morning here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. We would note that tomorrow, due to Patriots Day and the running of the Boston Marathon, the Marsh Chapel offices will be closed, but at 10.30 in the morning, you can join Dean Hill at his residence, 96 Bay State Road, and walk over to Kenmore Square to watch the marathon come through. And then from 12 to 2 on the Chapel Plaza, the Marsh Chapel servant team will be hosting a penny marathon to raise money for the Boston University Habitat for Humanity house. We hope he'll drop by and um, be able to share with us. We would note that on Saturday at 8 p.m., L'Academy, the Marsh Chapel um, Ensemble in Residence, will be offering their concert at 8 p.m. Tickets are $25 for general admission and $12 for students and seniors. Then on Sunday, uh, April 26th, at 11 o'clock, uh, during our regular interdenominational Protestant worship service here at Marsh Chapel, the Marsh Chapel Choir will offer the last of the Bach Cantata series, uh, Cantata 148, and we hope you will be here next week for that. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community, God of resurrection and of hope. We who are created in your image offer these, your gifts, back to you, the trust that we have for you, from you. So continue to bless our giving and our receiving, that we may continue your work of love and justice in the world. We pray these things in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen.